Uh, Jared, you want to come on up? We have a guest speaker tonight, a good friend of mine, Jared Robinson. He is a preaching minister for the uh, Riverside Church of Christ in Coppell, Texas. He's a friend of Mission Alive, the small nonprofit that I work with. Uh, he's a great preacher, and he's going he's gonna to bring the Word of God to us tonight. So without further ado, let me pray for you. Thanks for coming and being with us, Jared. God, would you fill Jared full with your Holy Spirit right now? Uh, would you speak through him uh, your word to us? God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? And would you give us the courage to respond in obedience? In Jesus' name, amen. Let me put it up there. No, I'm good. Okay, thanks. If you have a Bible, please turn to Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2, and then we'll read verses 6 and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. At 3.15 in the morning, my wife, Lauren, reached over and said, it's time. And like all fathers who are expecting, I went from being groggy and barely awake to totally and completely awake in less than a second. And I started running around the house. We had a special bag I was supposed to find. I kind of tripped over it in the dark. And I got everything put together. And I kept checking on my wife. And as I was, my, my mind was kind of racing back to the first conversation we had when we first found out that this baby was coming. And we had, you know, at that point, been trying for over a year. And I don't think either of us really wanted to talk about it, but I think there was a part of us that was afraid it was just not going to happen um, because we, you know, we, we just kept hoping and hoping. And, and then I remember that time that she handed that little white stick to me with the two little blue lines on it, and everything changed. Everything changed because we knew that new life was on its way. And then we were somehow able to talk about all the fears that we'd had. What if this hadn't happened? And we, we prayed together and we thanked God for the gift of what was to come. But we didn't even know what we were thanking God for. Because all anybody in our life kept telling us when we shared the news with them that we were expecting was everything in your whole life is going to change. And it's kind of hard to anticipate how everything changing is going to impact your life. So you just keep hoping and trusting and and new things keep happening. And, and finally, I, I found everything we needed. And, and I was just thankful all over again for that excitement that we'd felt. And so we got into the, the car, and it was you know 3.15 in the morning, so it was still dark out. And I took more care than I'd ever taken before as I kind of backed out of the, the driveway and started towards the hospital. And as I was driving, I started thinking again. My mind just kind of going back to experiences we had and back to that first doctor's visit 
you know, where you're, you're hoping to see something and looking into that grainy sonogram and not quite knowing what I was seeing or not seeing. And finally the doctor saying, look, there, right there, do you see it? That's your, that's your little girl. And, and then it was real. You know, because when you first find out that, that you're expecting, a, you, you have a sense that, that maybe, maybe it's too good to be true. But then you see it right there. Someone helps you understand that it's not just your imagination and it's not just a dream, but it's, it's, a, it's as real as anything you've ever encountered. And so we had this weird experience that all, I think, expecting parents have, and that is that your future starts to matter more to you than your present. You just feel like you're living waiting. Right? Just waiting for that day. Waiting to go from a grainy sonogram photo to holding that new life in, in your arms. And that day was there. You know, we 3.17 in the morning now, driving down the road. And as we were driving, my wife started to just kind of gently trace her finger on my hand. And she, as she was, she was kind of tracing a, a scar that I have here in between my, my thumb and my, my index finger. And, and that, that scar immediately, just feeling her touch it, took me back to about a month and a half earlier. She was seven months pregnant. And I... I had gone into to my doctor for what I thought was just to, to get some help with a kidney stone, uh, which I passed with alarming regularity. I think I've passed like 22 kidney stones at this point in my life. I'm doing something wrong, and I'm, I'm not making the adequate changes. Let's just get that out there right now. And I couldn't, I couldn't pass these kidney stones, and so I had gone into this 7.30 appointment, and I was by myself, and... I go into this, this doctor's office, and she says to me, um, would, you mind, would you mind if I ran some tests? And I said, does this have something to do with kidney stone? And she said, I don't think so. And basically between 7.30 in the morning and noon of that same day, I underwent about five to six tests of them trying to figure out what it was that she thought she had found. And I called Lauren, and so she had rushed up to the, to the doctors, and we were there together in the room when my doctor comes you know, through the doorway and says to me a phrase that I'll never forget. It's a mess. And we have to do emergency surgery right now. So I, I had gone in for what I thought was a kidney stone, and my doctor was telling me that I had testicular cancer, and my wife is seven months pregnant. And I was afraid that this life that I had been waiting for, I, I wasn't going to be there to meet her. Right? This, this hope that we had already given a name to, Riley Kate. You know, was, my, was my daughter going to know? All those questions that you have when you don't have any answers right at the beginning. And I couldn't help but feel like this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't supposed to happen to me. This wasn't supposed to happen to anybody. But it certainly wasn't supposed to happen now. Not, not right on the edge of all of these incredible things happening in our lives. And yet, that surgery that took place 
that emergency surgery that took place right around noon that day, that was the last time that I had had cancer in my body. They got it all. They got it that morning. And since that time, that's been over five years now, it's never come back. And yet I still live in fear that somehow maybe it might come back. And I remember on the way to the doctors at 3.20 in the morning now, when we're there to, we're going to welcome Riley Kate into the world, that as my wife is tracing that scar in my hand, it takes me back to that place and back to that fear and back to wondering, is my life still going to be okay? Is everything going to work out the way I hoped it would? Now, I can't be sure if, if Adam and Eve felt it when it happened. But the shift in the destiny of the world that took place when they made that choice to reach for more than they needed, when they reached out for more than they were ever intended to have. The shift that takes place there from everything and everyone and all of creation being very good to a dangerous complexity of good and evil. I don't know what that was like for them. But suddenly there was new chaos everywhere, in the air, in the water, in them. And some have called that shift in the destiny of the world the fall. Others have called it original sin. Still others describe it as the inherited brokenness in the universe that makes us both victims and victimizers from our very first breath. But whatever any of us chooses to call it, whatever name we decide to give to it, we know it. And not academically, not theoretically, but we know it personally. Because you don't have to live very long before you find out that sometimes in your moments of greatest hope, you're the most afraid. That that hope is going to somehow disappoint you. That the thing you've been waiting for is somehow going to be taken away from you. And there are times, I think, because of that, that we, we, have, to, we have to face the reality that... No matter how much we want it to be a different way, there are times when you and I are forced to to walk through what can only be described as darkness. Death, pain, sorrow, regret, fear, anxiety. Too many wars, not enough peace, too many bills, not enough self-confidence, misunderstandings, and missed opportunities to forgive, to make things right. Alzheimer's, heart attacks, and heartbreak, loneliness, disappointment, despair. It's not just a list of words. Those are experiences that all of us in one way or another have tasted before. They're words that describe heavy things that chase us and hunt us and haunt us and they can run us down. And yet, and yet we find that in the midst of all that, the truth, the truth is that our lives and our world and God's love for us is bigger than all that. And so as we drove towards the hospital that morning, and as I had a heart mixed with memories and, and fears and dreams and hopes, I found myself having to just having to decide that even though there were times in my life where I was tempted to think there was more dark in the world than light, because of what Isaiah talks about, because of what this whole world in one way or another is living waiting for, because of God's gift to us in his own son. But that's not true. 
that there's more light in the world than darkness. That that dangerous shift that took place in the garden when Adam and Eve reached for more than they needed, that Jesus undoes that. He begins to unravel all of that brokenness and all of that fear and all of that anxiety. And in its place, he brings new life, new possibilities, new new ideas and, and new things that we can do to connect with one another and, and to, to change the world from what it is into what God has always wanted it to be. I found myself, as we got out of the car and starting to walk to the hospital, to have this sense that, that what was about to come next was far more important than anything that had come before that moment. And so we get into the hospital together and I helped... Lauren get into the, the room that we were in, and she said to me, it's really starting to hurt now. And I think like every, every person who's ever been with someone in that room at that moment, you wish you could do something to help it hurt less. You, know, you wish you could take some of that pain on yourself, but you can't. And even knowing that hurts, because you know, that's an experience at some level, but even if you're in the room with somebody, they're going to have to face that experience inside themselves and at some level alone. And yet... We're there together trying to support each other, and pretty soon it was time. I mean, before I really could understand what was happening, it was happening. And then I found myself kind of standing on my tiptoes to catch the first glimpse of the hope that we had already given a name to, the hope that we had named Riley Kate. And when the prophet Isaiah talks about what it's like for us to receive the light that's already beginning to dawn in us and in our world, he says that more than anything else, it's like living in the warm light of a new birth. And I can tell you this much. When babies are born, their parents are reborn in the same instant. You're not who you were. You can't be who you were. New life breaks out all around. Because nobody can witness that much glory and beauty and wonder and manage to say the same. Christmas, I think, reminds us of this very simple but amazing truth. A child really can change everything. God's child, his one and only son, is coming. He's closer to us now than he's ever been before. It may not happen in the ways we choose, and it's probably not going to happen in the ways that we fully understand, but it is happening. And he is coming. Even if you have to stand on your tiptoes to see it, find a way to see it. Find a way to see him. Because this isn't just a dream, and it's not just our imagination. It's, it's the most real thing that happens in our lives, this encountering of Christ. And I know, I know it's not easy to wait. It's not easy to wait when you're not sure exactly who or what you're waiting for. And that was true for the Israelites, the ancient Israelites as well. They... They were waiting and waiting and waiting for this Messiah to show up. And pretty soon, they just stop waiting. And they start moving on with their lives. They stop looking and hoping. But there's this one guy named Simeon. He's an old guy by the time we're going to read about him tonight. And he refuses to stop waiting. He refuses to stop looking. And so he, he even has this conversation with God where he asks God, Will you let me live long enough to see who's coming? To, to see him with my own eyes and to, to hear him with my own ears and to, to reach out and touch him with my own hands. And God says, okay, I'm going to let you do that. And so when, when Simeon feels the Holy Spirit starting to prompt him to go to the temple, 
this one day he goes, trusting that he's going to encounter this, this one that he's lived anticipating and waiting for. And trembling with excitement, he looks around the temple and he sees this nervous couple coming. And somehow in his heart, he knows, he knows that this is the moment. And so he races over to speak to them. If you've got your Bible again, let's read real quickly Luke chapter 2, starting verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared, prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and a glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what he was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. And with that, the old prophet, is, he's done speaking. He's seen it all before. seen a hundred different baby boys dedicated to God. But he knows he's never seen a baby quite like this one. All children grow up and bless people. All, all children grow up and challenge people. All children grow up and along the way they get hurt. It always hurts their mother. But no child before or since has ever carried so much promise and so much pain. This child is different. He's God's way of showing up and setting things right. Simeon can feel it in his bones. And the thing is, if we're completely honest, I think there's a part of us that reads this story and we feel a little sorry for ourselves because we weren't fortunate enough to physically be there. Do you ever feel that when you read a Bible story? I think if I could just be there when it's unfolding, it would be different. But I want you to think for just a moment. Of how many other people were probably in the temple that day. People who had waited their whole lives for the Messiah. And they missed it. They missed it because he didn't look exactly the way they thought he was going to look. He wasn't this, this strong, victorious warrior. He was barely old enough to do much of anything except for cry and sleep. But there he is. God wrapped up in swaddling clothes, close enough for them to touch, to see with their own eyes, to hear with their own ears. And how many men and women and children walked right past them and missed it? And I wonder sometimes in our own lives, if we're so consumed with waiting for God to come into our lives in a very specific way, that we miss all of the quiet, unassuming ways that he's already present. I preached at a church in Brownwood, Texas. Actually, it's a little community right next to Brownwood called the Early. Um, so there was jokes every Sunday about how the early Church of Christ started late and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so you're in good company starting late, by the way, church. There was uh, a young woman there. I was probably, oh, I would say I was probably about 21, 22 years old when I preached there. And she was probably 19. Her name was Summer Martin. And Summer struggled um, because of a, an accident that her mother was in 
just before she was supposed to be born. Her mom was in a car accident, and her oxygen supply was cut off for too long. And so Summer was born with all kinds of, of limitations, mental limitations. And Summer just loved church, and she loved church people, and so I was the preacher, and so she wanted to sit next to me every week, and she would hold my hand, and we would sing songs together. And then she would stand with me. I wasn't married at that point, and so I would stand by myself in the lobby, and Summer would always stand right next to me and greet everybody and talk to people. But one of the things that Summer would do that her parents always felt a need to explain was if she saw a new person come in the back door of church, she would get up. and It wouldn't really matter where we were in the service. She would get up and go back. She would reach out to hug them and she would say to them, Hi, welcome to the early church of Christ. I'm Jesus. Can I sit with you? I mean, it doesn't matter who they were. Hi, welcome to the early church of Christ. I'm Jesus. Can I sit with you? And her parents would, you know, get up sometimes and try to explain to the person she wasn't really Jesus and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I got to a point where I told her dad one evening, I don't think she's lying. So you don't have to, you don't have to rush after her and tell somebody she doesn't really mean it. Because I think she really means it. And I think because she really means it, she's telling people the truth. That's just one way in my life. Where if I was too busy or if I was too worried about being right or correct or whatever, I think I would have missed the quiet, unassuming ways that Jesus shows up. And I think it's so important for us at this time of year to realize that we're not really waiting on any one thing. We're waiting on someone who in many ways is already here. He comes in, in, in powerful ways in community, and he comes in powerful ways through, through Scripture, and he comes in powerful ways, I think, to each of us, through each of us. But if we're not careful, I think we can get so used to waiting that we stop witnessing the ways that he's already present. Our hope has a name. It's a name, you know, Jesus Christ. And Isaiah gives them all kinds of wonderful names, right? Names that I think in some ways are, are poetry. I mean, he, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But I think my favorite name for Jesus has always been and will always be Emmanuel. And the God who is with us. And if God is, is with us, he's for us. And if he's for us, who can stand against us? And I love that the first message about Christmas to those shepherds out in the fields is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because we have good news and great joy. That this God who you've been waiting for, is here. He's here. And do we have the faith, do we have the eyes of faith for us to see that truth?